0: You can't have resilience without well-being. And today's guest on the Your Next Read podcast is Fleur Hazelwood, author of the book Resilience Recipes. This book's a verb. It's about doing stuff. It's about working out what's working for you and what's helping, and then doing the things that are going to help you with overwhelm, help you with stress, and help you bounce back when life gets on top of you. So if life's getting a bit full on for you, this might be Your Next Read. Resilience Recipes by Fleur Hazelwood. All right, Fleur Hazelwood, the author of Resilience Recipes. Who should read this book?
1: This book has actually come out of hundreds of conversations that I've had with leaders and people managers in my workshops who actually want to know how they can better look after the well-being of their people. But when I ask them, what are you doing for your own well-being? The most common reply I get is, is, oh, look, I don't have time for that. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that at some stage. And so my reply has always been, you need to put on your own oxygen mask before you can help others. And the response is always like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll get to that when I have time. Look, I, I, I know that, but, you know, you know that, that, that's not for me. That, that's, that's, for some, that's for someone else.
0: Yeah, isn't it it a lovely thing, though, that they want to help someone else without being aware enough to know that helping themselves is actually going to help other people as well?
1: Well, one of the challenges that I find with our leaders and people managers is is they're the ones that are getting crunched when it comes to the pressure. So they're having to deliver results, get their work done, support their team, direct their team, develop their team, all all, all of the the extra busyness, I guess, of, of, of life. And it's a classic case of not being able to see the wood for the trees. So when I ask, so wouldn't you like to improve your well-being?" It's like, well, yeah, I would, but I don't have the time for it. Yeah. And so this book very much came out of how can I help in a way that is going to be supportive of time poor, busy people managers who care but are trying unsuccessfully to juggle it all?
0: Yeah, and I think you've done that really well because it's, it's not a. It's not a hard read by any chance. Yeah, you, you, know, you could. If you wanted to, you can go through and do everything in it. I described the book as being a verb. I described this is. This isn't a. You know, books are nouns, but this isn't. This is a doing thing. And was that your intention? Did you want to make it just so interactive? So you had to write stuff down and had to think about it and do things while you were reading the book.
1: Absolutely. And so the reality of wellbeing is that it isn't actually rocket science. And so a lot of what I'm reading, writing, I should say, in the book that people will be reading is stuff that they should intuitively know. But the reality is, is we're not actually doing it. So spot on. This is very much about how do we make it easy for people to know where to start, what to do and take action. So I'm absolutely stoked you describe the book as a verb.
0: Okay, excellent, excellent. Because it really was. I'm. I have one big disappointment with it. Is I, I read it on my Kindle, and you couldn't write. you, know, you can't write on your Kindle, so I had to actually, actually had another little pad, and I wrote them down, and it it lost a little bit. So I think if you're going to buy this book, I think you should buy the paper version because I, I reckon I reckon the paper version um, has something to it because it is so interactive.
1: Well, I can definitely help out with that too, um, Luke. Because on the Resilience Recipes uh, website, I actually have got a downloadable PDF of just the core exercises. So if people oh, actually perfect. don't, so people don't want to scribble on their book. So this this, yeah. is, this is where it came out of. So people who are buying the paperback goes, oh look, the book is so pretty. I don't I don't want to like I don't want to ruin it with my rambles. And so I've gone all right. You know, one more excuse that I need to help people overcome to actually start doing their, you know, creating their own well-being plan and yep. uh, and uh, and um, and doing their own work. So anybody who buys a book, whether it's electronic or paperback, will be able to download um, their own personal editable PDF plan. So if you're a scribbler, oh, nice. you can print it, and if you prefer to type, uh, you can you, you can type it in. So yeah, you know, yes. Luke, I'm doing my best to support that verb.
0: And one of the one of the the things that you ask us to do very early on is to come up with your own definition of what resilience is or what well-being is. And um we were talking about this before we came on air and you said, "Oh, mine changes all the time, and I really love that. I reckon it probably should. So what if you had to to say your your definition of well-being now, what what would you say?
1: Well, my overall definition of well-being, is feeling good, functioning well, having fun, living with purpose and positively contributing. So that's very much about my values and what I overarchingly care about. What I've noticed coming into this year is that there's been a bit too much work and a little bit less fun. So my current definition of wellbeing is very much around fun first,
0: one of the things you talk about is you, you have a bucket with rocks and sands and rocks. and Can you can you take us through that metaphor? Because I really love the way you, you did that in the book.
1: One of the things that most of us are challenged with, it's the busy, small tasks and obligations for others that we tend to uh, prioritise or start first or do first. And what happens is, we get caught up in this busyness and we kind of like lose sight of what the things are that are important for us. And so the metaphor is a fabulous one. If, um, you know, our life is finite and we have 24 hours in the day and we have X number of days and weeks and, and years in our life so that there, there is this like level of, of finite to it, it's like how do we want to be filling up our jar of life? What do we actually want to, to, to be in there? And one of the things that's fabulous about the metaphor is and why it's important for each of us to work out what our own definition of well-being is, is so that we can make space for the big rocks. And the big rocks are the important things in our life. So our family, our friends, our health, our home, our satisfaction and purpose from the work we do, those types of things. And so we need to make sure that those big rocks go in first because if we fill our jar with sand first, we're only going to be able to fit one or two rocks. Yeah. The really interesting thing is, is if we put the big rocks in first, you'll be surprised at how much sand will still fit around the rocks. And overall, our jar will expand in terms of the contents if we actually look after ourself and our well-being and what matters first. Because when we do that, we actually find that we have more energy, more creativity, more innovation, more verve, better relationships. And so interestingly enough, that finite jar actually is a little bit infinite on the inside when we're filling it with the right things.
0: Yeah, right. I love that. I did, I, because so often things like it, it, it might be your health takes a backseat or you don't see your family as much as you should or there'll be, there'll be some of those really important rocks that you kind of, you know, those things that you lie on the deathbed thinking, I really wish I did that. And they're some of the rocks that actually end up in that, in that bucket last and they, you know, they sometimes don't even get there at all. Something like health and wellbeing sometimes doesn't get in there at all and, and, you know, everyone will think about their family and that's the most important thing, but yet is that the first rock in there? And often it's not. It gets the leftovers.
1: And the thing that's interesting as well, um, in a work context, we prioritise our team usually over ourselves at home, we're prioritising our family over ourselves when it comes to the the daily, everyday things that we need to make sure that we're fit and healthy and happy and, and okay. The
0: Mums reality- are massively, massively guilty of that, aren't they? Mums do that all the time. They've always, always catering for everyone else before themselves.
1: Absolutely, and um, and I guess in a in a work context, which we don't think about, you know, quite as often as we do in terms of our immediate family. Um, we're also finding that, you know, our leaders and our managers are spread really thinly trying to make sure that everyone around them is okay. And the reality is is the wheels fall off us. Ultimately the wheels will then fall off in the case of, you know, mum, our family, and in the case of, you know, our people managers trying to make it all work, um, their team, their performance and, and their work. And so one of the things I'm quite passionate about, we talk a lot about high performance in a leadership perspective but the reality is, it's not high performance unless it's healthy high performance. And yeah, one of the right. things I'm also trying to do with the book is actually give people, I guess, the permission to prioritize themselves and actually understand that well being comes first and work comes second.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It that, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But why do you think we have so much issues putting that into practice? Why, why do you think it is that? You know, it just seems such a, it's just obvious when you say it. And you, you actually say that in the book, that a lot of this stuff's common sense and it's obvious, but one of the things I thought you did really well was to help people put put that front and centre and what sort of advice would you give about that? That How would you get people to do that?
1: Well, one of the things I think is um, so interesting, when I first started working with leaders and teams around wellbeing and resilience in organisations, is I would start off by talking about all the benefits of well-being, you know, why it's mm-hmm. great. And I assumed that, like me, everyone would want more well-being. And the deeper I got into it, in the, my first couple of workshops, um, I had a, a group of managers and this was a, a, a group of um, extremely smart engineers in a construction company and we took our mid-morning break and I said, okay, so how have you found the session this morning? And I said, well, Flo, we've really enjoyed it. And it's great, but we've got everybody in the business here, and shouldn't it be kind of like we be working on the business and not this fluffy stuff. And I actually you're talking to
0: engineers here, so that kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of interesting because I've spoken to a lot more engineers, uh, smart smart engineers and smart mail managers in construction than for. For whatever reason, um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work help, helping male um, leaders and managers have, have better conversations and actually understand that there is a place for better, positive, well-being-related related conversations. And so what I actually realised was the first step wasn't actually selling people on the benefits of well-being. The first step that um, people need to take is around giving themselves permission to prioritise their well-being. And yeah, so a lot of the information in the book is um, evidence-based and it comes from some of the behavioural and performance literature. And I start with some pretty strong stats that say if we take care of our well-being first, then our work and results will increase by up to 30%. So we've got close to 10 years' worth of research now and it started um, coming out of Harvard Business um, School that shows that on every metric that counts, our results, our productivity, our creativity, our innovation, our relationships, our work satisfaction, our ability to do better when it comes to sales, our ability to get promoted. For those people who focus on wellbeing first, they have up to a 30% boost versus those who think that well-being is a reward for doing well at work. And so we've got this real cultural paradigm. Wow, that's a whole I'm-
0: chicken and egg thing, isn't
1: it? Sorry, Luke. I was that, that's a whole chicken and egg, isn't
0: it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've got this equation in our heads that work comes first, and when we've achieved well and we've got our results, then we deserve well-being. Yeah. And so what I'm encouraging people to do, and not what I, you know, really um, think is a much more helpful frame, is that if we put well-being first. Then we'll exponentially improve our work and our performance.
0: Mm. It's a really people don't see that. Like I, I do, very similar stuff in my work as well, and it's a really hard one to try and get them to see it. Because I, is it just a paradigm that we've got it stuck that that's the touchy feely stuff and that comes in last? Is that what's your take on that?
1: Well, we're so busy doing, and this is one of my other things as well. Um, I guess it comes off that you know that that paradigm is that people that are well do well but the paradigm that we're working in is is we're doing a lot of doing well but mm. we're not doing a lot of being and being well in that
0: yeah right because a and, lot of a lot of this book and a lot of the work that you do was was born out of some issues and stuff that you've had yourself where you've really wrestled with with burnout and anxiety and you know having problems with sleep and stuff can you can you take us through a little bit of your personal history with that and kind of how you got to here and how you realized that this stuff's so important
1: absolutely and so one of the things um, you know, people constantly say into my in, in my workshops, it's like going, oh wow, Fleur, you know, you are so good at this resilience stuff. I wish that, you know, I, you know, was as good as you at this. And my response to it was, well, actually, I'm not good at resilience and I haven't been great at well-being. And what I'm sharing with you is my own journey around doing all the things that I'm talking about, you know, wrong and then having to having to rebuild rebuild, I guess, you know, my life and my work, you know, back, back around that. So I started as a classic type A anxious overachiever on a graduate program for PepsiCo, a large global multinational. So like that old fashioned kind of like career that uh, hopefully we're starting to, to move away away from. And I set myself the objective that I wanted to become a CEO before I was 40 years and of course, I overachieved that. And I want to be
0: CEO of Pepsi by the time I'm 40.
1: No, I didn't want All to be right. CEO of PepsiCo. I wanted to be CEO of something. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, I love that. Great question. No, I, I, I was sort of like on a on, on, on a high, high high road to self destruction, but it, it it wasn't quite as global as that. Uh, yeah. That okay. Way. Um, but I was uh, managing a textile organization through the global financial crisis so when um, I guess for the first time in a long time businesses really got got rocked and um, companies were scrambling to work out you know how do we survive how do we navigate this and at the time or at that time and I'm so pleased that the the pendulum has swung, swung quite differently with covid at the time the way that organisations dealt with um dramatic um, shakes in 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 business revenue was to basically retrench and and cut people and cut staff yeah.
0: that was a real and, thing in the uh, starting in probably the 80s wasn't it that these these very selfish managers decided that the best way to get the bottom line where it is is to is to wreck people's lives and it's you know i hope it's changing but I, i'm not sure it's changing as quickly as i'd like it to say
1: well, that's the thing, you're spot on. It started in the 80s and it's sort of like, conti- well, not sort of, it has continued on for a good 50, 60 years and it's really only just starting to change now with COVID and a much more global experience of, you know, what, what work, work needs to be and what work um, should be. And so when I experienced my burnout, I was really, I, w- I was battling with a board that wanted me to retrench staff I had a workforce that was extremely fearful, so I had factory as well as warehouse staff, many people who had been doing manual work for twenty years and most of their lives that I knew wouldn't be able to get employment employment elsewhere. I was um, battling conversations with retailers who were trying to to cancel orders as they were trying to to to, ba- to balance balance their books. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, I was spreading myself so thinly trying to look after everybody else that I made myself quite unwell in the meantime. And so my anxiety got to the point where I wasn't sleeping. And then the lack of sleeping was being propped up by caffeine and and sugar and and, and different unhealthy coping strategies. Then through that, um, the exhaustion got to the point where I was hyper and my body started shutting down. So I had leaky gut syndrome. I had adrenal exhaustion. I had a strep outbreak in terms of, you know, the bad bugs fighting the good bugs, you know, yeah. in terms of my stomach. And so I became extremely unwell. And when I came out of the global financial crisis, I guess there was this much, much stronger conviction that the way that we navigate these things is together, not separately and so my parent organization was very keen for me to start reducing staff and headcount. I was very keen not to do that. Mm. And I had a very honest and open and frank conversation with my, with my whole company at the time, which I was advised not to do because of the, the, the various HR implications of that. But my view is, well, do we really need to sort of like sack? 30 percent of our workforce what if we speak to the workforce and say hey we've never actually experienced something like this before if we all agree to work 20 percent less it means all of us will still have some work and we can figure out what this means together
0: and did that work did, did we come up with did they come up with a solution in that particular case because there's lots of stories like that that they do and it actually can can foster a better tribe it can foster a a more inclusive team and stuff like that. Was that your your experience in that case?
1: So I was speaking in front of my staff in the canteen in the factory because that was the biggest room that we had. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely petrified. So my voice was really quiet and I was shaking and everyone's going, We can't hear you. So I ended up having to actually stand on one of the canteen tables. So I was already feeling like quite, quite, quite vulnerable. And here I am, sort of like, you know, standing on a table in this. With adrenal exhaustion
0: and all of these medical. With the things adrenal going fatigue and an exhaustion. Stress.
1: And a, and, a sea, and a sea of faces, and from what I've been told, an extremely high risk strategy that um, I, I, I wasn't authorized to do. And so right. I gave my, and so I put the plea out there. I said, hey, you know this business better than I do. You know, we know each other. We are a, a company together. A company is not products. A company is the people that are in the company. And what I need, you know, what I'm asking and what I need from each of you is to commit and sign this piece of paper that says hey i'm happy to work with you and reduce hours for 20 by 20% for 3 months and then my commitment back to you is at the end of 3 months we'll assess where we are and we'll talk together about what we'll do next
0: sounds like magnificent leadership that sounds that sounds it fantastic was, it was
1: it was absolutely scary vulnerable leadership at the time and what made it even more more at that time, scary but also hilarious in hindsight was um, the spokesperson from the, the, the Chinese-speaking um, group in the factory came forward after sort of like this minute's worth of silence where everyone was like chatting to themselves and I'm going, oh, my goodness, you know, what, what is going on? Feedback, please, mm-hmm. feedback, please. Yeah. And um, stepped forward and said, Fleur, we don't actually understand what you are saying but we, but we trust you and we know that you care and if you would like us to sign this paper, we will sign this paper.
0: Oh, wow, that must have made you feel beautiful. That just must have felt yeah. great. And,
1: and then one by one, every single person came up to the table, signed the piece of paper and looked me in the eye and said, Fleur, if this is what you believe is best for all of us, we trust you.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And I came out of the global financial crisis. I had the smallest business in a large group of companies. So my little business was 20 million. The largest group in the company was 150 million. I came through the GFC with all of my staff and my roles intact. Mm -hmm. We grew our market share, even though our sales shrunk, and we returned the highest profit and a profit of the whole entire company. And so I have this. Absolute knowing and commitment and conviction that people that are well do well.
0: Yeah. Nice. And not only do and, they do
1: well, they do better than others.
0: But the irony of that is that you were doing that and did a really good job. Like that's just fantastic leadership. It's yeah, it's awesome. But you were doing it at a time when you weren't very well. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, there's an irony there that and the I guess the beauty of that you've learned those lessons and you've learned how to teach other people those lessons and how to avoid you know what happened to you even though you managed to get through it and I don't think many people would because let's face it when you're that stressed the part of your brain that makes really good decisions isn't really working as well as it should.
1: Leading on from that or following on from that too Luke is that so I came out of that experience making sure that everyone else around me was okay but I had become quite chronically ill in the process. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision then to resign and leave the business. It's sort of like, you know, I've taken this business and I've actually left it in better shape than, than, than what I inherited it and I'm feeling good about that but I need to find a better way to do this because for me burnout is not an acceptable price for success. Yeah. And yeah. so, most of the work I've been doing over these last ten years is, you know, how do how do we change that we can be successful and well? Whereas yeah. the current um, um, the current equation or the current paradigm at the moment is busyness equals burnout, or busy, or you know, success equals busyness and burnout.
0: It's it almost doesn't. like the a Russian roulette of burnout, isn't it? I'm just going to go and go and go, and hopefully, I don't get the bullet that hurts
1: yeah and, ab- absolutely
0: um, where would you take people so if people are listening to this and think yeah i reckon i'm i can see all the things that you're talking about um where would you go first what would be the first sort of low-hanging fruit if you like that you you have to sort out because if you don't sort that out nothing else is going to work properly where where would be your first protocol to improve your wellness
1: well the absolute first port of call I encourage or invite everyone um, to do is to define what well-being means to you. Cuz one of the biggest challenges that we have is that we're reliant on company well-being programs or we're reliant on the personal trainer down the road giving us some dietary tips or you
0: mm-hmm. know we're
1: we're we're jumping on Google and we're getting some quick hacks for exhaustion. But the reality is, your quick wins are going to come from actually understanding what's the most important thing to your well being and then doing something about that. So, yeah, you bro. talked earlier, Luke, you know, before around how busy mums are. And if we look at what well being to a busy mum, or let's say, you know, a new parent with, you know, a brand new baby that's crying through all the night, you know, number one priority for well being is probably going to be something around getting more sleep and some help around the house. Yeah. Whereas if you're a young, anxious grad starting out on your first job and wanting to make a good impression, what's going to be more important for your well-being is the mastery of what it takes to be successful at work and sort of like, you know, finding out ways to kind of like find friends and make social connections and the networks that you need. Yeah. And so that's where we come from when we say, you know, well-being isn't one size fits all. So part of, the, uh, part of the reason why I wrote this book is I wanted a really short, easy, quick start book that would give busy, stressed and burnt out people somewhere easy to start where you can get some quick wins and work out what your definition of wellbeing is and what the one thing is that will make a difference
0: right and you've definitely done that and it's such a great process and i'm i can't wait to get off this call i can't i'm enjoying the call but i can't wait to get off and get that pdf and actually fill in some of those things because um it, it did seem to really lead you across and you know the book is a verb it's the most it's it was such a great read and because i'm you and i are in the same space i kind of knew a lot of the things that you talked about You pulled out some stories i hadn't heard which i really enjoyed but to be out uh, the way you structured it and anyone who is struggling with their, with their wellness and and feels like they need some resilience this book will really you know hold your hand and take you through it while letting you create what you want to do and Absolutely. I lo- I love the way you've done that now I I we don't want to take up too much more of your time but I'd love to do a fast five with you at the end okay
1: all right let's so see if I can actually be fast luke I'll do you my best
0: You don't need to be that fast. Um, What are you reading now?
1: I'm reading this really cool book called The Art of Rest. And I think given our conversation so far, you can probably understand uh, a a little bit more around why. But one of the cool things I've discovered recently is that sleep and rest, while they're related, they're not actually the same thing. And improving your rest focuses on things like how we unwind, how we calm our minds and how we recharge our emotional body as well as our physical body. So it's a really cool and interesting
0: read. Nice. That sounds really cool. And did you have a favourite book as a kid?
1: (laughs) My favourite book when I was um, small was The Magic Faraway Tree.
0: Oh, Enid Blyton? Is that Enid Blyton?
1: Absolutely. Enid Blyton. So it's fun and it's playful and it's kids having adventures and it's magic. And you would have heard in my definition of well-being that uh, I've been a little bit, like, low on the fun lately and that's, you know, definitely, yeah. you know, my you know definition of a really fun, magical
0: book. Yeah, nice. What's, what's a book do you think everyone should read?
1: Um, Eat, Move, Sleep by Tom Ruff. I'm not sure if you've right. read that book, um, Luke. I have. But it's very much around how the small, simple tips and changes or how small, simple tips and um, the baby steps, the one percenters, and the small changes that we make can actually build up to improve our health in big ways.
0: Yeah, it's a great book. It's really cool. Um, and what book had do you think had the most influence on you? Uh,
1: the book that has the most influence on me and is still having the most influence on me is The Art of Living by Thich Nhat Hand. And okay. he's this amazing Vietnamese. He just passed
0: away recently.
1: Yeah, at yeah. 95 or 96. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's a Vietnamese um, Buddhist um, monk and very much around simple wisdom and lovely stories and visuals to anchor you in how living mindfully will help you to fully experience every moment of every day. Yeah, so nice. for part of my journey has been breaking that cycle of doing and a bit more being, and this has been one of the most beautifully written, simple um, and I guess, you know, a little bit intuitive as well. You read it and go, oh, yeah, I should be doing this, but I'm that not. That just
0: makes sense. Yeah, yeah it's right. Like
1: the Art of Living. It's a beautiful book.
0: Okay. So if we were going to do a, a Fleur Hazewood autobiography, what would that be called?
1: This is a cool one. What immediately springs to mind is life in progress.
0: I oh, really,
1: nice! And a really cool fact that I'm not sure everyone necessarily realises that every cell in our body is continuously replenishing, and over a period of around seven years, our whole entire body changes over. And life in progress for me is is a bit of a you know play on work in progress, and I think we we kind of like need to frame out this work in progress and make it a life in progress and step into ourselves and go you know what life is what we choose it to be and i'm very much still on this journey of going there are so many more cool and fun things to do with life if i get out of my own way so life in i love what you
0: said there life life is what you choose it to be and be a little bit deliberate with what you choose yeah Yeah, I love that. Fleur Hazelwood, it's been great talking to you. Resilience Recipes is in in all bookstores and stuff now. Um, You can get it online through Major Street and we'll give some details at the end of the show. Thank you for coming on the Your Next Read podcast and everyone, get out there and get a book that is a verb. Fleur, thanks for coming to see us.
1: Absolute pleasure. Take care.
0: If you'd like to make Resilience Recipes by Fleur Hazelwood, Your Next Read, Go to majorstreet.com.au and use the code YNR to get your discount. I'm Luke Mathers, and you've been listening to your next read. See you next time.